you know, this standalone six-week visit, it just doesn't work, right? And so what I tend to do, <laughs> and I and most of my clients will give me feedback after their six-week visit, ranging from that was horrible to that was underwhelming. That's usually the best response is that was underwhelming. Motherhood is a full-time job, except there's no clocking out. Hi, I'm Allison, doctor of physical therapy, mom of two, and women's health nerd. Join me as we dive deep into motherhood and answer the questions that everyone wants to know, but no one wants to ask. So grab a coffee, water, or wine, and get comfy while we chat with some of the top women's health practitioners who support moms from fertility through empty nest to improve our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. This is the All Out Motherhood Podcast. Hey everyone, I am here today with Tanya Tringali and she has quite a few certifications. So I'm just going to let her give everyone a little introduction about herself and tell us kind of what you do in your business and um, working with uh, women and moms. All right. Hi. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, All right. I'm Tanya Tringali, as you said. I'm a certified nurse midwife. I would say that that's you know, the main thing that I am and that I do. Um, I became a midwife, oh boy, now we're getting to be um, maybe 13, 14 years ago. Uh, (laughs) I was a registered nurse, worked labor and delivery for a good four years before that. And I was a doula before that. (laughs) Um, So my whole life has definitely been maternal infant health in some capacity. Uh, but my midwifery career has certainly spanned a lot of different areas and interests. And uh, in the past five years or so, I became super interested in fitness and sort of the intersection between the perinatal period and fitness. I'm I'm kind of a, I'm a CrossFitter for myself in my life. And in my CrossFit gym, you know, people would come to me with their questions. And I kind of recognized how much I didn't know. And that was kind of where my interest grew because I started recognizing all the things I said to people that were not evidence-based, right? I was saying things that maybe I'd heard another midwife say or another doctor say or that just sounded good, quite frankly. Oh, Um, absolutely. I think we all get kind of stuck in that trap sometimes and then it it kind of dawns on us like, oh, I actually should educate myself a little more. (laughs) what what are you supposed to do in the moment, right? In the moment, you've got someone in front of you and you have all the best intentions, but we know what they say about good intentions, right? So um, (laughs) anyway, that led me to get a personal trainer certificate. I got my CrossFit level one. um, And then I did Brianna Battle's pregnancy and postpartum athleticism course. And then I did Anthony Lowe's Oh, I female love I love him. He's so great. Um, he just helps you think differently. That's what he does. He helps you think oh, differently. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I did his um, female athlete level one and level two, which the level two was the very last trip I took as the pandemic was starting. It was like when that boat, I flew to California and it was when that ship was still sitting off the waters of San Francisco. Um, oh, and gosh. things were really heating up. So we were all kind of like, ooh, we all just traveled and what's happening in the world? <laughs> like, what's um, going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I got home and like, you know, the pandemic was on. So um, yeah, that was the last thing I did. It's such a distant memory in a certain sense. Um, so yeah, so I mean, in terms of, you said I have all these certifications, which I guess is not untrue, but really it's in the midwife realm and the fitness realm. Um, and then there's just all the other 
fun and interesting things that I find myself doing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And in all of your all of your, you know, certifications and education tie together so well, you know, it's um, sometimes we find ourselves kind of jumping around and getting things that just interest us, but yours are all very um, kind of specific to, like you said, maternal fetal health. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a journey and it's become, even since adding all the fitness stuff, it's just become more about filling in the gaps because there are just so many. Um, and it's been such an interesting journey trying to figure out how to meet the needs of women and families, um, especially during a pandemic. That's really, I think, brought some things into focus, for sure, to say the least. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about gaps and, um, you know, being a, a women's health PT, I, I knew there were gaps and I was aware of them. But really, until I had children myself and experienced the gaps and really, um, you know, felt that firsthand is when you're like, oh, my gosh, this is way worse than what I thought beforehand. You know, it, it's it's one of those things you almost have to experience it to really know how bad it is. Oh, and, absolutely. and then having a baby, I, I had my... Um, my second, my son, um, March 9th last year, right before everything Ooh. shut down. So it's like had a baby, you know, had a week or two. I think I had two weeks of my mom and mother-in-law here helping. And then it was like, okay, everything shut down. Nobody traveled. Nobody go anywhere. My husband's working from home. My three-year-old is suddenly home with me and my newborn baby. And I'm just like, oh my God, what is going on? Like, <laughs> like this is not the postpartum I had planned. <laughs> Oh, totally. I mean, I, I have to say my friends, my family and my clients who have two young children or more are the ones I feel for the most. I mean, I, I'm so grateful that I have one grown child at this point uh, because I recognize that I have had a luxury beyond what most people are dealing with when you've got two young kids to occupy and try to work and your partner's trying to work or you've got two kids going to school on a computer and you're, how, how in the world do you work? I don't really know how people are doing it. And I'm so in awe of so many people that are surviving this with grace. <laughs> yes. And then some days I feel like the grace is fleeting, but <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. kind of a survival mode, do your best and, um, totally. you know, go from there. But yeah, that that's amazing that you're kind of helping to fill in all the gaps and everything that you had seen and experienced and uh, witnessed with your patients. And so tell me a little bit about your background, because I know you have several irons in the fire of things that you do. So I'll, let me start with the teaching, because I actually think it plays a big role in how I got here. It's taken me a while to put the big picture together. But um, I went to nursing school at a campus-based program. I went to New York University. And then for midwifery school, I actually went to a distance education program. And this is quite a while ago now, before a whole lot of the technology we have now. And I, I know lots of people who went to this program even before I did, when it was basically correspondence, like a lot of it was on paper, um, which oh, wow. I can't even quite imagine that. But going to a distance ed program, I think, is what gave me the foundation to do the work virtually that I'm doing now. Um, and I think it's because when you go to school, 
remotely. And I know there's a lot of feelings about remote education right now, but none of this is really about how I think young kids should be educated. <laughs> but when you're sure, in grad- totally different. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you're in graduate school, especially I think when when it's a medical specialty, what I felt very strongly and passionately about was the fact that because I was on my own for the didactic piece, um, it made me more independent as a provider. And it made me feel stronger in my convictions about what I knew to be true and how I wanted to practice. And of course, when you go to school for something medical, even when it's distance ed, your clinical experiences are still there. I still showed up at the office and the hospital and did all the things you need to do. But you do a lot of your learning on your own. Um, And then a year after I finished school, I actually began teaching at this program, which is used to be Philadelphia University. They're now Thomas Jefferson University. Um, The midwifery program moved from one school to the other. Um, But uh, I started teaching for them. And so I taught distance ed for a number of years. And once again, I really felt that there's something about that modality that I was able to bring a certain level of strength to these students and give them the power to own their education. And I don't think everybody feels this way and it's not right for everybody, but I think a lot of that has framed what I'm able to do now that I've, I've really gotten into virtual care. Um, and why I think it works is because people need an outlet. They need to be able to ask the questions that they have and trust that they are being guided through evidence-based resources and through somebody who has a lot of experience in the field. Um, but oh, absolutely. My job, I don't see my job as telling someone what to do or what they should do or giving them you know, one singular piece of advice. It's usually kind of a lot more teamwork, a lot more collaboration between the client and the provider. Um, and so basically I will work with all people um, and cover all their needs, whether they be preconception, prenatal, postpartum. I've really sunk in my teeth into postpartum because I think that's where one of the biggest gaps is right now. Um, Absolutely. Where, yeah. I mean, and you know that as a PT, that's where you're seeing it. I mean, I, obviously there are issues everywhere, but oh, postpartum sure. is so huge and it's such a lonely time, right? Um, and I think people have a lot of feelings that they don't have outlets for. They're afraid that their feelings are not normal. They're afraid to say them out loud to family, to friends. So I kind of create this safe space where I'm almost always wearing a little bit of a therapist cap um, and kind of keeping everybody in a place where they can speak freely and then get the support for what it is that they're experiencing and feeling. And then I'm there to pick up on things as they're starting to become a problem. So I always say we want to solve problems quickly or prevent them, right? And that's what I find that I'm able to do so well in a virtual format because I'm still, I'm in such close contact with people in the day-to-day of the experience. Um, And and yeah, I mean, I really do, I believe, avert some emergencies. And then the majority of the time, we're just optimizing health and well-being, whether it's breastfeeding or your physical recovery. And that's such a great way to look at it. You know, I think a lot of people 
And this was way before, you know, this pandemic and all the virtual stuff really hit. But um, a lot of people looked at virtual as kind of a, you know, it was a little bit of a hamstring in that you didn't quite get or couldn't provide what you wanted to for the students. Or, But if you really make it into what it needs to be and empower your students and you know, empower your patients on the other hand too, then it, it can really have some amazing, um, amazing benefits. Absolutely. And there's so many ways to engage. So I, you know, I text with my clients, I email with my clients, we use shared Google docs to go back and forth between tasks that we're kind of working on together, whether that be, it often starts with editing their birth plan, right? Because even though some people are signing up for my postpartum program, I believe I would be remiss if I didn't pay a little bit of attention to how they plan to get their baby out of their body because, as you know, <laughs> your birth is going to directly affect your postpartum experience. So, you know, I, I start there so that they can feel the continuity of the experience, right? It would not work so well if I said, nope, we can't talk about that. This is a postpartum program. So we generally start <laughs> with, what do you know? What do you have in place? What do you believe you want for yourself? And that gives me an opportunity to assess how much knowledge they have, what they're afraid of. Do they know how to advocate for themselves in the healthcare space? Is that where they need some time and attention? Do they need access to more evidence-based resources? And from there, we kind of build a relationship so that the second that baby's born, I'm right there ready to help. So again, that's where text messaging really comes in in the early days. Lately, I've been using, do you know this app, Marco Polo? Yes. Oh. <laughs> A dear friend and colleague re very recently introduced me to Marco Polo, and it has been a game changer for me because, you know, here these moms were, and I understood the burden of texting while trying to nurse. And I mean, what an amazing tool this has been because now they can just chat and yammer on with me and I can, you know, speak very freely and get back to them. If I'm with a client, I don't have to do it right away. It's just been so fun. And now I could watch them breastfeed at random moments when I'm not in a live session with them. Um, so it's been, it's just been fantastic. So my toolbox just keeps growing every day in terms of what I'm willing to utilize to stay connected to people and keep them feeling safe at home, especially during a pandemic while they're alone at home, often cocooning in these early days without as much help as they would have had pre-pandemic. And that's so funny that you brought up Marco Polo because um, the only time I had ever heard of it before was when I lived down in Florida. People would use it um, when hurricanes would hit because you could use it like off Wi-Fi and it I don't they had it set up differently at the time. And so it was kind of like an emergency messaging system or something um, when it first came out. And then whenever this pandemic hit. Um, I actually had a business in Florida at the time and a business partner and things were getting really crazy because it was a wellness center. There was a lot of, you know, we, we had to shut down and just dealing with everything. And um, my business partner at one point, she was like, okay, you need to download Marco Polo because we need to have a conversation. I know you're postpartum and can't you know, just sit on the phone right now. But she's like, you need to see my face and we need to actually like talk to each other um, to kind of get through this. And it was kind of amazing. It was awesome to be able to still have those face-to-face -face conversations, but not, you know, have to be on like a live video chat right whenever both of us were available. Because, um, you know, she was home with a five-year-old as well. So it, it was 
kind of an awesome app. I, I hadn't really even thought of using it for patients, but that or clients, and that's um that's really a great idea. And I would have enjoyed that as well in postpartum and still would, to be honest. So yeah, yeah, it's really it's it's so simple and it's it's just been pretty stunning what is possible. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you picked postpartum because, um, I mean, you know, fertility and pregnancy obviously needs a lot of support as well. But I feel like there's so many things out there for um, helping with fertility and support and helping during pregnancy. And, you know, you have appointments every sometimes every week during pregnancy, depending on your current situation, or at least every few weeks. And you know, you're constantly seeing different providers and, and then it's like, Oh, you had the baby. Okay. See you later. Bye. Have fun. Good luck. <laughs> you know? totally. it's like, oh my God. <laughs> like what just happened? Totally. Uh, hardly does a day go by that a client doesn't text me something on the lines of, I don't know what I would do without this. And that has been what gives me strength to keep going. Uh, because this isn't easy. Running a business by yourself <laughs> is lonely. No, um, it, yes, it is very lonely. I, I know you know. Um, it's lonely. I don't enjoy certain parts of the job, like when it comes to marketing and all of that stuff. I, you know, Nobody teaches you how to do this in midwifery school or PT school, right? Mm, so I'm just no. learning on the fly every day. Um, and there are parts of the job that I don't enjoy, right? But I really enjoy my time with my clients, and um, I can't, I can't walk away from it. And I really believe, I, based on the feedback of my clients, that I've hit on something here, right? And at the same time, this is not stuff you learn in school. I'm sure you feel similarly in terms of pelvic floor related stuff, right? You had to make a decision and seek out that extra education. And I'm sure you feel like you just keep learning every day, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I was lucky in our program. We actually, one of our adjunct professors at the time was a pelvic floor specialist, actually two of them, I believe. And um, so they actually came in and did a couple um, specific classes for us, but still they were literally just like one, two or a couple hour classes. It wasn't the full on training that you get or have to seek out, you know, after school to actually learn about the pelvic floor and all the pelvic issues and, um, everything that goes along with that. So yeah, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat where it's like you, we didn't really get this in school, which it, it should be taught in school, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pick yeah. your battles right now. <laughs> yeah. And on, on the midwife side of the equation, I think people think we know all this stuff about the day-to-day -day postpartum care. And the truth is we don't learn it in the level of detail that I'm providing it at this point. This is years of, of learning from specialists, from pelvic floor physical therapists, from personal trainers, from lactation consultants, from mental health folks, from taking a million workshops. You know how it goes. It's years and years of knowledge that's come together that helps me get people through the day to day. And still every day somebody brings up something and I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I have an answer to that. And I have to take the deep dive <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and figure it out, right? Like, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, I'm sure you can imagine, I take a lot of questions about infants and their sleep. I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not a sleep coach. And I've had to gather a lot of information 
to save people the trouble from having to seek out those specialists. So I think one of the things that I've made a goal of mine is to not just push people to specialists at the first hint that it's outside of quote unquote my scope when it's kind of just normal everyday stuff, right? Um, Absolutely. So that's that's been the more current challenge, I think, is figuring out how to give people really what they need when you don't sort of finish midwifery school and know all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's, I think that's kind of a struggle for, um, you know, a lot of practitioners when you want to be a well-rounded practitioner and try to really, like you said, meet the needs of your patients and clients. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you currently um, still teach midwifery as well. I do. So I'm uh, adjunct faculty with both New York University and Georgetown University, which Georgetown is a distance education program. Um, New York University is a campus-based program, but with the pandemic, the vast majority of the work we're doing is, of course, remote uh, with our students still attending clinical in their, you know, in their sites. Gotcha. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I uh, honestly didn't even realize um, those two universities had midwifery programs. So that's actually, that's amazing. That's very cool that they do because they're two very, you know, very well-known universities. So. Yeah. Yeah. There are about 35 midwifery programs in the country. That number fluctuates a little bit year to year, but it's in the ballpark of 35 programs. Oh, interesting. Okay. Awesome. Tell me a little bit about your postpartum care, because I know, you know, when, when women go a more traditional route with more of a physician hospital-based birth or, you know, down that kind of line that a lot of times their postpartum care is a, you know, a two week or a six week visit, maybe. And that's kind of it. So how, how is it different when you see a midwife or you specifically? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a few different ways to answer that question. Um, when you see a midwife, the standard of care is pretty darn similar to that of an OB, right? We're, we all use the same schedule for visits through pregnancy and postpartum. Um, and a lot of that, to be honest, is sort of dictated by insurance reimbursement. No surprise there. Um, sure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I think midwives do tend to try harder to offer closer support in the postpartum period. But midwifery practices can look and feel really different, ranging from someone who attends home births and has a much more, has a lower patient volume and is able to give a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention in the early postpartum period to a small midwifery practice that's maybe one, two, or three midwives sharing that load to a really large practice that's possibly owned by a physician group. And there's many midwives and a lot, a lot, a lot of patients. And the, the more you go along that trajectory, the more it's going to look like, you know, the standard care, meaning after pregnancy, you probably just have the six-week visit. But sometimes you're right. You see a one-week visit, a two-week visit, or, or a home visit, or a phone call, something. Obviously, all of that is going to be better than nothing. Um, but what I'm doing is working with people who want to tack on something really individualized and really comprehensive. I think those are kind of like the two words that say the most about the work that I'm trying to do is that it's highly individualized and it's 
highly comprehensive. So my clients generally start with me during pregnancy, although anyone who reaches out for help, I will, I will let them jump in wherever. But kind of perfect world scenario is I love to start with people while they're still pregnant um, and figure out how to get them ready for postpartum. Because we don't tend to set time aside to think about that. And I get it. Like, all I can think about during pregnancy is how do I get this baby out of my body? Right? Like, that's (laughs) all I'm assuming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense that if you don't set time aside with a professional and say, this is what this hour is about, right? We're probably not going to tackle all the things. Although I think there's more and more awareness and people are coming with varying levels of preparedness and it's been really pretty awesome to see that evolution as well. But anyway, love to care for them during the end of pregnancy, getting their head wrapped around postpartum. Um, And then in the early postpartum period, we're really focused on the here and now. What problems are creeping up on us, be they about getting enough sleep to be functional, milk supply, good latch, all the things, right? Is your baby peeing and pooping adequately so that we know that this baby's getting enough? Do we need to to supplement, right? And obviously the pediatrician's heavily involved in all of this too. But, you know, I'm sure you remember the number of questions that you can come up with in a day. You would never call your OB or your pediatrician that many times with, with what you consider little questions. And what I've basically done is sign up for the role throw them at me. I will answer them because my gut is telling me, I don't have the data yet, but my gut is telling me that this lowers people's anxiety. Oh, absolutely. And and I can definitely speak to that because both of my births were midwives. My first one was a birth center and my second one was a home birth. My first one was... Um, it was good. I, I liked having a midwife. It wasn't quite as individualized as I would have liked. And the the postpartum care, I still had, you know, quite a few postpartum visits afterwards, but there there was a decent amount lacking in in the care. But with my second one, my my midwife was amazing. A lot of my well, all my postpartum visits were home visits. She came to my house or part of them were virtual as well because of the pandemic at the time. But everything was kind of like you said, it was very individualized and it was very comprehensive. And I'm so glad you used those two words because that was the most amazing part of that is I could text her at 10 o'clock at night and ask her some random question that was stressing me out and giving me anxiety. But she would immediately answer me as soon as she could. And I would, that anxiety and stress would immediately be gone, you yeah. know? And if I would have had to wait to call or heaven forbid, see an OB, then, oh my gosh, I would have been stressing out for days. You know, it, that's, it was just such a different experience than I hear a lot of other women have whenever they don't have that comprehensive and individualized care. Yeah. And even worse than just kind of the stress in the moment of not being able to get a question answered in a reasonable time frame, I think what happens is when we have one question pop in our head, let's face it, we don't just like stop what we're doing and write it down. We forget the question, but we don't forget the feelings associated with the question. And then that's the an, next question. Such comes. a great point. Yes. Right. And so I think that's where I feel the anxiety comes in because you, you lose touch with what's causing it. And so I'm constantly reminding my clients that I'm here and they don't need to protect me. 
So what's been so interesting is people will say to me, how do you make yourself so available to so many people so often? I'm like, nobody has abused me to this day. No one has ever abused my time. They ask, their questions are legitimate. They don't expect me to respond in the middle of the night, which has been a beautiful thing, might I say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like I'm not taking 24-7 call. That would be impossible to do with, you know, a number of a time. I would never sleep. I would never be functional. But, you know, just being there for them and uh, like erasing that question and eliminating that anxiety in the moment. That doesn't mean the next moment of fear or questioning or fill in the blank with any emotion isn't going to come up moments later, but we're just like right on top of it always. Um, So I think that's a big piece of it, but I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't mention maternal mortality and morbidity in this equation. And I think that's another area where people don't understand how valuable virtual care is. And I think the data is going to start showing us how valuable this is soon. I think you're absolutely right. Because I have caught postpartum preeclampsia. I have caught many postpartum infections. I've had people get back in touch with their provider and be readmitted to the hospital. And I believe, can't prove it, because maybe they, if I wasn't in the picture, maybe they would have called their provider. But most of the time, I pick up on these things before the client knows what's happening. Right? When they that, tell me. That's amazing and so awesome for so many reasons. <laughs> Blows my mind still. I'm still super, I'm impressed and, and proud of this and so happy to be a part of this journey with people. But, you know, it'll be the kind of thing where someone will say, I don't know, I just feel a little off. And I'm like, can you do me a favor and take your temperature? <laughs> and yeah. like, we're, we're like figuring it out in real time. And sometimes it's like a really early stage mastitis. And then, yay, big win. We can get over the hump sometimes without antibiotics, just by all the tricks of the trade. Um, and other times it's something more serious. That's what the first two weeks of postpartum are for me, is daily contact, making sure that they're safe and making sure that their baby is eating appropriately and that they are comfortable, right? Keeping people comfortable from all the typical aches and pains of the postpartum period. But from there, I think it does take a real turn, right? So the next phase of things for me, and this is where I know you'll have a lot of thoughts as well, is, you know, this standalone six-week visit, it just doesn't work, right? And so what I tend Not to at do- all. <laughs> and I and most of my clients will give me feedback after their six week visit, ranging from that was horrible to that was underwhelming. That's usually the best responses. That was underwhelming. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do is I bookend the four week visit, uh, the six week visit, by having approximately a four week and an eight week visit, so I can prepare people for what the six week visit is and what it isn't. Because I think people think there's a magic bullet happening, and I want to just like get that out of their minds right away, be more yes. realistic about what it is. Um, Preparation for the underwhelm. <laughs> yes. And and for the range of beliefs that providers come to this visit with, right? So whether we're talking about, and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole unless you want to, but like the different <laughs> beliefs about diastasis or pelvic organ prolapse and, and you know, I have a million beliefs and thoughts about all of this myself, but you know, when you don't know whether your doctor thinks this is important or not, let alone knows routinely assesses it or not, and whether their advice is evidence-based or not, 
how do you move forward with that, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, that's the rabbit hole. But so it's what is this visit and what isn't it? And then there's the more much more thoughtful approach to family planning rather than what do you want to do for birth control? <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> yes. So I mm-hmm. like to have a dive that starts with a question more like, what do you want your family to look like? You know, like, let's start there. Tell me what you envision for yourself so that we can then talk about what have you done before? What are you interested in? What are you afraid of? You know, and figure out what's right for you. Um, And then kind of on the heels of the six week visit, I usually do around an eight week visit and say, well, what happened there and how can we optimize your healing based on what you learned about yourself or didn't learn? And from there, we tend to do a lot more sort of future visioning, whether it's about their physical rehabilitation or it's about going back to work and figuring out pumping and just the transition to motherhood and life and the whole thing. So it's a it's a really kind of comprehensive program. Um, if I haven't said that already. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very, you know, it sounds like you're very, you're meeting the patient and client at their needs. You know, you're not dictating, this is what we need to do. This is the next step, blah, blah, blah. This, this is more what, what do they need? What is their next step? What, what are their goals? What are their reasons? What are, you know, what are they envisioning? Absolutely. And on that note, I recently changed the program from having a set number of visits that went from, you know, the third trimester of pregnancy to 12 weeks postpartum, the, you know, artificial end of the fourth trimester. Uh, But the feedback that I was getting from clients was often, we're not ready for this to end. And I finally said, you know what, this just needs to be a monthly subscription program so that people are in charge of this. Because when someone has an easy birth and a minor or no tear and they're essentially asymptomatic and their baby happens to be a good sleeper and all the things, they might be done with the program sooner. And then there's people who have any number of challenges or multiple challenges and at 12 weeks, they're not ready to be done. We haven't talked about sex and physical activity enough because they're not ready for it. Yeah, and that's such a great point. And I've been in both of those boats. With my first, I was probably, you know, six, eight weeks. I was I was pretty, pretty good and and would have been good to go. Whereas with my second, 12 weeks was definitely probably not enough for me. Um just with everything going on and having another child at home and and with the pandemic and you know, so I I can fit into both of those boats for sure. Yeah, it's got to be so interesting as a provider to have the range of experiences and bring that to the table, right? Like it does add a level of empathy. I don't by any means think someone has to have a baby to be a good PT or midwife or anything, but there is just something that having that experience, I don't know, maybe it's internal and not something that's seen by the patient as much, but... It's that's very true. And I was thinking about that the other day. That's funny you mentioned it because before I had kids, like, yes, I I could relate to some things and and I could understand and I was still empathetic about it. But it was it was very different. Whereas now it's almost like you you literally feel yourself in that position because you have children and you can't imagine it in your head because you've either been there or you've been close to there or can at least wrap your head around it. It is just a very different feeling. You know, it's not saying that you're, you were any better or worse before you had children or if you don't have children, but it's just, it, it is very different. It's a different experience when you have had kids providing for someone who has had kids. 
has had kids. Yeah, totally. And you, you touched on something and I, I'm going to back up and go on a soapbox for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of appalling to me how many women I've seen, and I know my colleagues, our colleagues have seen that go to that six week visit and were never ever checked for prolapse or diastasis. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I can only speak from the midwifery perspective a little bit, maybe from the OB perspective. There's not a lot of emphasis put on it because Mm -hmm. it's seen as sort of like normal or something you can't really do anything about. I mean, you know, as well as I do that the range of opinions about how effective PT is uh, for these things can vary from provider to provider immensely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, at, and at the same time, it is normal and many people are fine. And I by no means want to fear monger about this. But again, it's meeting people where they are about it. Like, yes, check it. And if it's a really big diastasis, maybe they need a little extra education. Maybe they need to get to the PT. If they feel fine, like giving them a heads up that if they feel X, Y, or Z, maybe they want more attention. If they feel great, no problem, let's minimize. But we know that from social media, there's so much fear mongering around it as it is, both diastasis and prolapse, that mm-hmm. people are just afraid even before they have symptoms, right? They're yes. like, do I have this yes. thing? Am I going to have a problem? And we just have to meet them where they are and share with them the range of normal and let them know when it merits a little more attention or concern. But certainly the the other side of the equation, right, are the, the providers or the patients who are led to believe that like they must roll over and push themselves up with their hands for the rest of their life because of their diastasis. And I'm not okay with that either. So it's yeah. not oh, absolutely I, it's not that I want OBs or midwives to be overly cautious. But I want them to to meet people where they are when they express a question or concern about that subject. But we aren't trained, especially when it comes to the pelvic organ prolapse piece. We might be able to identify it, right? But Mm -hmm. we aren't trained in treating the musculature of the pelvic floor. And I think patients don't know that. Patients think Mm -hmm. that because we may put two fingers in your vagina and ask you to Kegel, that we're gathering a ton of information. But really, we're gathering information based on how much education and time and energy we've put into this. And for many people, I would say, we have a sense of the, whether the strength of the Kegel is weak or, or, or strong, but not much more than that, unless you have done a lot of work to grow your skill set. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And it would be nice if there was just a little more normalization around that conversation. You know, I think part of the fear women feel so much is like, oh my gosh, I was never checked for that. I I don't even know what that is. Why why do you think I might have it or what problems can it cause? And you know, if it was something that the provider and I'm I'm more speaking towards the more of a medical establishment approach here, um, if they were, you know, educating their patients on, okay, this is what I'm gonna check for this may or may not be an issue. If it is an issue, you know, there are some treatments. We can look into different things. And if it's not an issue or if it's very minor and doesn't cause problems, then it's probably fine. You right. know? Yeah. Just I mean, I opening think, up that conversation. 
Absolutely. The line that I want midwives and OBs and other healthcare providers to kind of hear is if you have a diastasis, the question is, can you function in the ways you want to function asymptomatically? And if so, this is no big deal, right? Like, it's just not, unless it's an aesthetic issue and that's okay too, or whatever it is, right? But what is it that she wants? Does she just want reassurance? Does she feel disconnected from her core and some of her hobbies are feeling wrong, right? Like, what are those different ways in which your patient could be experiencing this that she needs addressed. But I don't, I I just don't think the average midwife or OB has all of the information in that regard. Oh yeah, true. And, and I'm so glad that that's the way you kind of address it with your patients, because like you said, it's, it's their goals. And, and I love the way you put that about if you're functioning fine, then it's probably okay. It's when the problems come up in your your normal functioning or your hobbies that that's when we need to look at, you know, a different, a, going a different route. Or like you said, aesthetics, which is fine too, because um, there are some definite aesthetics around diastasis that might, you know, want to be addressed by um, clients and patients. But Absolutely. I I love that that's the way you um, look at it with your patients and clients. So tell me a little bit more about how your program works. I know you said it's a monthly, like a monthly subscription um, and it starts, I believe you said during third trimester, but you can kind of jump in at any point. Yeah. I mean, my perfect world scenario is that people would start, you know, maybe around 36 weeks. So they get a month, you know, with me in the program before they have their baby. But again, jumping in anywhere and having even one session prenatally, I think can go a long way. And then from there, it really is just month to month. So if someone uh, is, for instance, more focused on maternal morbidity and mortality, and that's where their their head's at, they could say, I just want to do this for the first month of my baby's life and just make sure I get over that really critical step for me and the baby. And that would be fine. But I would encourage people kind of in an ideal scenario to, you know, be part of the program for a month during pregnancy and for three months postpartum. And then if there's anything going on beyond that, considering staying in the program a bit longer. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the general structure of it as of right now. And it's it's going to evolve and grow and change, I'm sure, as I learn more and more and get more and more feedback from my clients. But so far, this feels this feels right. Great. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, evolving to, to meet your clients and patients' needs is always a good thing. But uh, and I, I've got to commend you for starting it or recommending it start before giving birth, because you see so many postpartum programs that just start six weeks or even some 12 weeks after birth. And like you said, a lot of women don't really take time to plan out for anything postpartum. And and I said this the other day to someone, you know, how long did you spend planning out your child's nursery and the decorations and, you know, all the, the fun things that you put in the baby's room versus planning for your postpartum care? You know? And usually most people are like, um, 
a long time and none. (laughs) I have never even had a thought like that. That's, that's great. I love that. I've never (laughs) even considered this. (laughs) Um, The other thing that I'm doing that's not out yet, but will be out in the next couple of months um, is that I am creating a course on Teachable because I realize that not everyone can afford a monthly subscription program. And although I believe that the gold standard is individualized comprehensive care, I think that the educational content that I tend to teach at the various stages can go a long way for someone. Um, and That's so awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm super excited about this. I'm working really hard to get it out as soon as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that that is going to be a helpful tool for people who can't necessarily afford a monthly subscription program. I get it. I mean, we are paying for health insurance. We're paying high deductibles. I'm, I wish it didn't have to be this way. But at this moment in time, um, this gap exists. And I, I don't believe that there's a way for me to fit into the system at this moment in time. I hope the day comes where this becomes so normalized that it's part of the system. We're just not there. That will be a day for some crazy celebration (laughs) (laughs) from a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, practitioners and, um, you know, birth and pregnancy postpartum support workers. Absolutely. (laughs) And a lot of moms just in general. Totally. Totally. So if anyone is interested in your program, then uh, how do they go about getting information about that? Sure. My uh, website is motherwit, mother, the word mother, wit, W-I-T. Some people hear me saying with, W-I-T-H. It's wit. Uh, motherwitmaternity.com. Um, awesome. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you. Um, all the information is right there. Um, I can be found on Instagram at mother.wit.maternity. Um, and I think those are the two best ways to get in touch with me. I do offer free consultations for people considering the program because I do believe that uh, someone deserves to figure out if they're a good fit or we're a good fit. Um, so I do offer anyone who wants to be part of a sub- subscription program uh, a free consult. And I do also offer individual hour-long and 30-minute follow-up consults for people who need some attention but don't necessarily think they need the full program. Oh, that's great. And on that note, I've got to have you tell everyone a little bit about your business name because I, whenever I first saw it before I went to your website, I thought, oh, that's a really cute name, like mother and then wit, like humor, wit, you know. And whenever I went to your website, I was like, oh, this has a completely different meaning. And I really, really love it. (laughs) Well, I learned it from Maya Angelou, so I cannot take credit for this. Um, Mm. And it's, to me, just a really beautiful phrase. It says so much to me. And I knew that people wouldn't hear it the way I wanted them to hear it (laughs) originally. And I I wondered if that would be a problem, but it has grown on me. Uh, But basically it means the natural ability to cope with everyday matters, common sense, right? And it is to me so what a mother is and what mothering encompasses. Uh, It's special to me. And then ironically, uh, this past week, as I have really taken 
time to pause and think about Black History Month, I was doing some research on granny midwives, which are you know black midwives from the South. Um, I wrote a post on my Instagram page. I, I won't go into it now, but people can find me there and read it if they'd like. I found a book about uh, a granny midwife that uh, is called Mother Wit, an Alabama midwife story. And I just oh my got gosh. everywhere. And I instantly bought the book and started reading it. And so I did a little spotlight on her. And I'm still reading the book. I'm not done with it. But I just, this book is so inspiring. And this this woman's story is so, so inspiring. Um, and so I just feel like, oh my goodness, there's another connection here, which is, I don't know, super cool to me. Oh, that's so amazing. And kind of like validating for your choosing of the name. And, and I got to tell you, I know that it kind of, like you said, when you first see the name, you kind of think something else, but it's kind of an awesome play on it as well, because your name kind of embodies motherhood. Like there's got to be a little humor in there as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but then also the reasoning for your name is just amazing. And it, it's, it's perfect. I, I really like it. When, that was the first thing that struck me when I, when I did go to your website. And I got to tell you, I didn't realize that it was Maya Angelou inspired. And that, that touches my heart a little bit because my daughter is, her name is Maya, um, partly Ooh. inspired by Maya Angelou. So. <laughs> and I can't say for sure that she coined the term but I oh, learned sure, it from sure. her poems. But I definitely could, I could afford to do a deeper dive on the absolute roots of this word. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, though. I really love it. I think that's a great, you chose a great name. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on the All Out Motherhood podcast. Want more? Head over to alloutmotherhood.com for show notes, links, and discounts from today's episode. And while you're there, be sure to join the All Out Motherhood Collective Facebook community, where you'll find even more support to get you to that positive test and through all the rest of your motherhood journey. See you next time.